Welcome to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast. Today, Joel and I continue talking about Advent with a particular focus on the second Advent, that is, the return of Jesus and the revealing of Him as Lord. What does it mean that the divine took on flesh and is now Lord of both heaven and earth? What does this mean for who we are, for the role of the church, and for our relationship to the political world? If Jesus is Lord, not merely of the spiritual, but also the physical, and the kingdom is not merely of the spiritual, but also the physical, and yet it is not of this world, well then, who are we? What are we doing here? And to what are we looking forward? We might not give all the answers, but I think we do a pretty good job asking some decent questions with maybe a few hints at some decent answers. Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Check out tacticalfaith.com for news, info about us, and our other podcast, Tactical Faith Radio. If you want to contact me and Joel directly, tweet us at wonderingwisdom or email us at wondering at tacticalfaith.com. And in both those cases, there's an underscore where the A or the O would be in wondering. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. Last week, we talked about Advent, what Advent refers to, both the coming of Jesus in uh, Bethlehem a long time ago and the coming of Jesus sometime in the future. We mentioned that there's something strange about the fact that at the center of Christianity, there is an historical event and that our faith is related to this historical event and how that creates some sort of problems and some sort of interesting issues. Uh, but overall, it really makes Christianity unique and I think not just unique, but I think it's it actually serves as sort of a sign of its truth, which is sort of the argument that Climacus makes in Philosophical Fragments or Philosophical Crumbs, Climacus being the pseudonym for Kierkegaard. It suggests that there's something really important and, and different about Christianity. That is a, perhaps a sign of its truth. So we, we talked a little bit about that, but we really just sort of created problems, brought up some problems. But today we're going to start trying to answer some of these things, sort of, even though I don't know if we're going to really answer them so much as talk about issues that are related to the idea that there's something going on in history in Christianity. And one of those elements is that history is moving towards something, and we are a part of that. So the way that maybe I could just say a quick word about the way that we Christians have a tendency to think about things. And this isn't really Christian so much as a general religious attitude or philosophical attitude that is erroneous and we can just generally kind of generically call Gnostic, but I'm using that term very loosely here. And that is we see a life of the physical world running along. You can think of two parallel lines there's the physical, there's a life of the physical world, and then there's the spiritual life, and these two parallel lines never really meet. They don't have a lot to do with one another. Now, maybe what you do in the physical world affects the spiritual in terms of whether you get more awards or whether you get more punishments. But for the most part, there's no connection between the two. The idea is that eventually the physical world will be tossed and will enter some sort of ethereal world of rewards and punishments. And so we don't, we have a tendency to see history as something we're just trying to make it through without messing up too badly. 
rather than seeing history and the world as moving towards something. That is, we see Jesus as Lord of heaven, but we don't see him as Lord of earth. And there's there's kind of a good reason for that, and that's because you look at the world around you and you're like, Jesus, if Jesus is Lord of this, he ain't doing a very good job. But Jesus preached the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Not that the kingdom of heaven is going to hang out up there and eventually you'll die and get to go there, but rather a resurrection of the dead and the coming of the kingdom to the earth. One of the questions that we have is, what difference does this make? When we're talking about the the second coming, the advent of Christ in the future that we look forward to, how does that transform how we think about our place in the world now, how we think about history now, and really how we think about ourselves. And so to introduce that to us is going to be, Joel, how should we think about ourselves in terms of the movement of history? Are we changing towards something? Are we just biding our time? Are we waiting till we can shed our physical our physical, our corporeal existence so we can enter and, I don't know, turn into like naked babies with harps. Uh, what are we, what, what are we looking forward to? And what is that? Let's just start with that. What, what's happening to us? Is anything happening to us? Yes. Something is happening to us. Yes. There is something that we're moving toward. Um, when, when Jesus came He said the kingdom of God is near. He said, and he kept telling us what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And the sense is that that is, that is the ultimate fulfillment. And when we, you know, the, 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 there's a cheesy thing that I've seen posted, um, you know, on Facebook memes and stuff that something about like, he came to be with us so that we could be with him. And it's, 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 it's not false, but uh, someone who's um, Eastern Orthodox changed it a little bit and said, he came to be like us so that we could be like him. And I think that gets at things even, even better that we, we are to be, we are becoming little Christ's. We were becoming little Jesuses. And as we and that that is that is who that is who God sees us to be. That is who God knows us to be. And in Hebrews it talks about uh, he he has uh, he calls them holy who are being made holy, that there's a an already not yet component. Um but who we're becoming is something incredibly meaningful and it's it, it it impacts who or how we understand ourselves now. And so when, when we're talking about the kingdom of God coming about, about us being a part of the kingdom of God, it's not, it's not something that is this distant future thing, but it's something in the here and now that is, that is being revealed that will have its ultimate revealing ultimate fulfillment in the future, but it's something that's already here. And, and, and how that, how that changes us is, is we, we can't see ourselves as, 
people who are just kind of waiting for that time to come, but it's our job to help bring that about. Um, it's our job to, to help or to, to, to work, to be transformed in the way that we are, are like little, that we, we become, that we're little Jesuses, that we're, we're living out the kingdom of God more and more in the here and now, not as, as something that we're waiting to get whisked away to, but something that is already being revealed. One of the issues that that I've had with the way that we generally think about Christianity for the longest time is the divorce between justification and sanctification, which is nice. It's nice to divide those conceptually, but I think we tend to divide them in a practical sense. That is, you do the whatever you need to do to get saved, you know, and then after that, you know, you can get better if you want to, whatever. But we don't, it's not clear what the purpose of that is, right? You hear these stories maybe as a kid about jewels in your crown and stuff, but I don't know if any, I don't know if, I mean, do we believe that or not? I don't know. But or, 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 or at the least, we don't think that that's something we have to address in this life because if we, whether we address it in this life or not, when, when we get to heaven, we're going to be good. Yeah. And, and the idea is, I mean, is it a matter of, I get more rewards in heaven for being decent? And so there's, there's all this confusion and, and maybe not confusion, but it, it seems like Christianity gets reduced to getting some sort of, uh, some sort of an award because they don't have any purpose except, you know, I mean, now that that's not entirely true because Christians are very clear about the need to share the gospel, to help others learn about Jesus because we want them also to get the awards. And so, but this idea that in my everyday life, what, what role does suffering play? Well, suffering is just annoying while I wait to get to heaven. What role does sacrifice play? Well, it, does it help bring people to Christ? Well, if it doesn't, then I'm not really sure sacrifice matters. You know, maybe it's a nice thing to do, but it's not really that important unless it's helping people come to the gospel. And there's only like everything is is boiled down and simplified and dried out. Not recognizing that the kingdom of for the what what is the kingdom of heaven like? And I'm not talking about the stories about how they appear, right? It's like the smallest seed that grows to become the largest plant. I'm, what I'm talking about, when you imagine the kingdom of heaven, what is it like? Well, at the center on the throne is God the Father. At his right hand is Jesus. And what are the things we know about Jesus and God the Father? Well, Jesus is the clearest manifestation of the Father. And the thing we know about Jesus is he gives himself. The Father and the Father gives himself. The Son gives himself. The Holy Spirit gives of himself. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's like something it's like a something of tremendous value where people within that kingdom give of themselves and they give them of themselves in a way that brings about peace wholeness and so on and so forth so our goal our our life it's not like we're 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 taking a test right now that if we pass it in the future we get awards the kingdom of heaven is here this isn't a test this we can manifest the kingdom here. And so we should be. Now, granted, we're not saying that if we're just really, really good people, suddenly the world will be transformed into the into a paradise. We're not idiots. 
What we are saying <laughs> is that we are waiting for the return of Christ, for the resurrection of the dead. We're waiting for disease and war and everything to be overcome. But we are, in fact, now presenting the kingdom of heaven. We're, we were meant to be revealing it. So if you're looking for a cause for the life you're living, it's to manifest the kingdom. And it's to bring about the kingdom. And you do this by looking at your neighbor and thinking, how can I manifest the kingdom in relation to my neighbor? It could be sharing the gospel. It could be living the gospel. Showing kindness, showing love, helping them. It could mean sacrificing tremendously for them, just like Christ sacrificed for us. Those are, those are the things about the kingdom. And this should transform the way we look at the world. The problem is, or I should say, it's partly because we look at, the, we look at history as a static line that never touches the, the spiritual. It's just a test you take, but it's not reality, right? You, you're taking the test in school, and the goal is to get into a good college, and that's the kingdom of heaven, or to get a good job, and that's the kingdom of heaven. But this itself is not the kingdom. But the kingdom is here. Jesus says it's, it's here. Why? Because God became flesh. If God became flesh, then the spiritual world and the physical world have come together. They've they've met there. That's what the first advent is about, which we'll get to next week. But the second advent that Christ is returning says that history is moving toward this end. That there's that there's a there's a, a big finale and we can be a part of moving it that direction. So let me ask this question because I, I, I think some of our listeners might wonder why why isn't this something that God can just do himself? Why you keep saying that, you know, we we can help reveal the kingdom, we can help manifest the kingdom, but I, I at least in the way that it's typically talked about, God shows up when Jesus comes back the second time, that's God showing up and just kind of paving over everything that that is with his kingdom and it's good what why do what why do we have to play a role in this uh in this manifestation of the kingdom i don't know how to answer that question uh i think i could answer the question why do we get to fair yeah. enough it, let, let's <laughs> go with that question then because well, I, I want to actually analyze the questions because maybe that gives us that helps give us an answer. So, what's the difference between why do why can't God just do it this way versus why do we get to be involved? And I think the very nature of those questions, I mean, the the question you ask, Joel, is a sign of your vice, and that you need to. No, I mean, <laughs> but it's I mean, but that's that's the question we normally ask. Like, why doesn't God just fix everything? And that's not entirely a bad question, right? Why doesn't he just come right. down here and fix everything? It's, it's actually a pretty decent question when you consider what's going on. Um, or when you consider what humans have been doing to themselves and the world. But I think it's God has created us to be co-creators along with him. Right? I mean, you see this in Romans 8 where all creation waits, you know, waiting for the, the sons of God to be revealed, which refers to Christians. Um, who are identified with Christ. Uh, God creates us. You read in Genesis 1 that he created us to, to rule over the earth, to, to fill it and subdue it. 
which gives you the sense that the, the goal was to take Eden and spread it out over the face of the earth and bring, bring beauty and flourishing and order to all the earth. And so, I mean, that even says something about sin. Like if God, if God lived in, if God ran things such that human decisions made no difference to how things were happening, then sin shouldn't even matter. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't even make any difference. But God, God, and this might sound strange because, you know, we know the phrase, God is no respecter of persons, but I think we mean by that something different. But God has given us a kind of honor and invited us to participate in the coming of the fullness of his creation. But with that great honor comes a lot of responsibility and the fact that we must suffer the results of our actions. But we can also rejoice in participating in God's kingdom. Now, now it starts to sound, I mean, you could respond, well, maybe we should recap real quick. So the idea is, why why do we, why can't God just do this? Well, he probably could have, but I think from the start, he set it out to not do it that way. Yeah, he, he set the rules up such that that wasn't an option. Yeah, he, he decided to honor his creation. And that's, I mean, you talk about, great, and this actually begins to answer the, the problem that I'm about to get to. But God, by his grace, honors, gives honor to his creation, which is really neat. And he continues to do so by his grace, brings salvation to his creation. And by his grace, and salvation doesn't merely mean that humans get to go to heaven the right the christian humans get to go to heaven what it means is that his creation is going to be redeemed and so god's grace is there at the beginning it's all throughout it's at the center of history with jesus and it and it comes at the end with christ's return and the revelation of jesus as lord uh, and in the midst of that are the people called to serve we are between the advents and in in a broader sense we're between god's creation and the God's beginning of creation and God's completion of bringing his creation into its fullness. And we're a part of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've sort of, uh, someone might, might be listening and would say something like, you know, uh, from this honoring of creation and honoring of our choices and so forth might, might think that what I'm saying is that humans through their own acts and through their own power can accomplish salvation for themselves and salvation for the world or something like that. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying grace has been there from the start. The very fact that we are the way we are is an act of grace. The Without Christ's overcoming of death, we would have been bound to death by, by our allegiance with sin, you might say. So there's grace throughout the whole thing. But Christ's we tend to look at Christ's death as doing all the work, so now there's nothing for us to do but wait. But that's not what Christ's death does. Christ's death reflects creation. We were created by God's grace, and God gave us honor, therefore, to work alongside him as uh, co-creators might be a tricky term, but like vassals under the suzerain creator. We're vassal creators under the suzerain, under the great king creator. So too, when Christ saved us, he didn't save us just so we can sit around on our hands and wait to go to heaven. He saved us to become co... I'm, I'm hesitant to say co-saviors, 
that's a bit strong, but it's the same sort of thing. We participate in Christ. We're supposed to participate in, in Christ's acts of suffering. That's what Paul says. We, that's we, what Romans 8 says. We're children of God, and Jesus shows us what being a child of God means, and, and we are to live out in the same way that Jesus did. Yeah, and some of this is, in fact, spiritual, but I, I just, I'm very uncomfortable with our our quick move to separate the spiritual from the physical. We, I think we've separated them out too far uh, where we make God and salvation and everything else out there and, and kind of inter- internal or whatever. And then the physical just doesn't matter, but the physical does matter. It, I mean, Jesus comes and I mean, have you ever, have you ever wondered why Jesus was healing people when he should have been preaching the gospel? <laughs> if you have, then you have a bad view of history. You have, then you're confused. And I think that all the time. Like, why are you healing people when you should be sharing the gospel with them? With them, you're healing the people's bodies, but then they're going to burn in hell forever. But I think that's, I think that the problem that we, str- the reason why we struggle with that is because we divide these things up too much. Jesus didn't go and preach that you should ask him into your heart so you can go to heaven. He manifested the kingdom because frankly, it's not unreasonable for someone to look at you as you're preaching the gospel to them, but not caring about them physically. It's not unreasonable for them to look at you and think, I don't want what you have because you don't care about me. Because they're sort of right. You might care about parts of them, and we all know what it's like to care about just parts of people. After all, Joel and I are both men, so we understand this. But that that's not the right way to love someone. And we think it is, well, I mean, I just care about their spirit. And you can say, what does it what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Yes. But losing his soul doesn't mean that all he could gain the whole world as long as he asked Jesus into his heart. The idea is that a particular kind of life the life of pursuing the possession of the world by, say, bowing to this to the accuser, like Jesus could have done, is is giving up your soul. But to sacrifice oneself, to give one's life up for your friends, for the world, is what saves you and what brings about that eventually lordship over the world. All right, I'm speaking sort of. Too broadly now, but it it might be helpful to reframe things a little bit, and, and this this is something that I mean some some might say I'm 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 I might be treading into uh, dangerous waters with this, but um, if if Travis thinks that he'll just edit this out, um, <laughs> but oh I'll get on it, <laughs> but I'm not sh- sure that the spiritual versus physical is the most helpful way to uh, distinguish between things because we, we tend to make the spiritual, this ethereal thing and the physical our bodies. When I think the kingdom of God is not strictly spiritual in the ethereal kind of thing, but there, there is a, there is a physical element to it as well. And, and so when, then this 
I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think the, the beholden to sin kingdom is might be the, the the way to look at it. And our bodies can be beholden to sin. Our spirits can be beholden to sin. And we have, and, and eventually that which is beholden to sin is going to be swept away. And all that's left is going to be the kingdom of God. And that is going to include our bodies. That is going to include our spirits, our soul, however you, you want to classify that. And so we, we set up this false dichotomy between our body and, and, and our spirit, when in reality, it's that, that of us, which is beholden to sin and that of us, which is beholden to the kingdom of God. And when, when we reframe it in that way, I think it, it, it can, can make a little more sense and help us see more clearly that it's not about body, bad, spirit, good, healing, if you got time for it, but really we need to preach the gospel, but that that the healings and the preaching of the gospel go hand in hand, that they can't be separated from each other because they're all a part of the kingdom of God. They're not they're they're a part of 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 conquering the conquering of the of the kingdom that's beholden to sin by the kingdom of God. Um yeah, I, I think a lot of what we're saying is perhaps the better way to understand it is that the spiritual encompasses the physical. It, it includes it. When when God took on flesh in particular, and of course this goes all the way back to creation and so on and so forth, but let's talk, we're talking about Advent. It showed that the physical world is not a world of, it's not a value-neutral world that can be measured with value-neutral w- ways it can be measured in value neutral ways and lived in a value in a neutral value way but the spiritual is where we need to get everything right what it what it says is that the is that the physical can bear the divine and in fact the divine made it the divine took it upon himself and the divine will redeem it which means all of our physical world all of history is encompassed by the spiritual. And so this should transform the way that we look at the world around us. And and this has, what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to connect this with a lot of what we've said before that has far-reaching epistemological uh, effects on our epistemology, effects on our understanding of history, effects on the nature of what, of what faith is. And that is you can't look at the world in a purely value-neutral way. And so I what what I'm trying to say too is I think there's a connection between our tendency to divorce the physical from the spiritual and our tendency to see for example science as the authority over the physical world and then religion is sort of what is it the not the non-overlapping magisterium magisteria right the idea that you got religion and that governs the moral spiritual realm and you got science and that governs the physical world. No. That's false. It's it's gnostic in its in its nature and it just depends I mean it's one step from there to say well the moral spiritual world is just sort of a myth and that's cool to make society's function right uh in accordance because we're herd animals and morality is just a function of evolution to make us so we get along and blah blah. So you're just one step away from that, but that's just not the way it is. Is is the world governed by physical laws? No. I mean, in a way, it's governed, but it's governed by God. 
right? I mean, that's that's sort of cheap. But there's also a sense in which if I look at if I look at a person and I simply say, you know, uh, well, there's a physical animal, uh, and you can treat them as a physical animal. I'm wrong. That's not just a physical being. That person has a kind of value. Like if we recognize human rights, we have to admit that there's a spiritual there's a there's something spiritual encompassing the physical world because human rights make no sense if you see the physical world as merely physical and running by its own rules. Human rights is an intrusion of the spiritual into the physical. Or I should say it's a recognition that the spiritual exists and encompasses the physical. But this also creates a kind of attitude toward the world. This And this Joel, Joel mentioned this last week. Where we recognize, I'm trying to remember exactly how you said this, but where we recognize that we're encountering someone. That, how did you put this? I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know if you're going to remember what you said. But you said something like the attitude of recognizing that I'm coming to encounter someone in history. I'm not just looking up facts or something like that. I may yeah, be misremembering. But, uh, if I remember correctly, which that's always debatable, what what I was saying is that when you're encountering a person, the there there it's more than a collection of facts. That you're 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 encountering something that goes beyond just whatever facts you can say about that individual. Even if you could, could list everything that person has ever done. And I mean, you, it's impossible to do that, but if you could, the person is still more than just the facts that are true about them. Um, and when you realize that, that you're, I mean, th this, this kind of gets back to what Travis was talking about with you know, God setting us up to be, um, you know, creators of a, of a sort with him, that you're dealing with a person and a person is someone who can influence things. And, and they're not the static thing, but they're this growing, developing uh, thing in front of you that, that you cannot put, that you cannot fully constrain, nor can you fully understand. Um, there's something dynamic there that has to be recognized that um we just don't capture with facts yeah and and we might say well that's the cycle well what you're referencing the psychological or you're referencing the emotional sure but it's all captured within within the spiritual and so when you engage with with history when you engage with the person before you and when you engage with information it's all fundamentally driven by a set of values that encompass the world, right? Wittgenstein talks about the world being formed by values that are unspeakable, unsayable in a strictly logical, clear, clear, or philosophically clear way. At least I think that's what he's saying with my <clears throat> weak knowledge of Wittgenstein. But I mean, what we're saying, I'm just agreeing and saying, yeah, the spiritual world encompasses the physical. It encompasses the facts. It encompasses the way that you determine the facts. And so part of what we're saying, and this might be a little bit strange, but I buy it, is that the there is no such thing as a, as a valueless interpretation of the world. There's no such thing as an objective perception of the world. That's not actually that strange. Most people would argue that. You might be thinking, hey, Travis, uh, you went from misremembering to Mr. Postmodernism. Uh, 
but I'm not. That's just, just a recognition that there's there's no complete, there's no truly value neutral way of looking at the world. There's always valued ways of looking at the world. And the question is, do you look at it with the values of the kingdom or do you look at it with the values of ultimately death, but now I'm getting in, I'm opening up a whole new door of how to explain that, right? Because if I look at things as mere objects, I'm looking them at as dead things that are animated by physical laws, not by love, not by value, and so on and so forth. Again, I don't want to open that all up. Actually, I sort of do, but then this will end up being like an hour and a half long, and Joel and I might actually get in an argument where he's wrong and I'm right, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but the idea is that the kingdom encompasses the world. The spiritual encompasses the world. Jesus is Lord, and not just Lord of the ethereal realm, but Lord of the world. This is why the early Christians wrestled with, I mean, th- when they said Jesus was Lord, that was a, that was almost a political statement. It was a political statement. Yeah, I mean, it got them into trouble. Now, we're not saying that we're trying to set up a theocracy. Right. I mean, somebody might think that we should. I, I don't know. That that's up that's up for debate. Those haven't turned out super well in history. But because the only true theocracy is when Jesus himself is sitting on the throne. But what we are saying is at the very least I can say this. If you're worried about what's happening in our political realm, you know, have some concern, you know, do your voting and do whatever you need to do. But if you're thinking this is the end of Christianity or maybe the beginning of Christianity, depending on your perspective, I don't want to say you're an idiot because that would be a mean thing to say on a podcast, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Jesus's Jesus's Lordship has been undermined by a short lived nation's single election. Like, this has been really troubling to me over the last, I don't know how long. And I realize that I have historically fallen into this too, but Jesus is Lord. And our job as the church, not as Americans, not as whatevers, but as the church is to manifest the kingdom. And so, yeah, be concerned about politics, just like you're concerned about your paycheck, just like you're concerned about your health and whether you tied your shoes this morning or whether your zipper's up or whatever. It's not the end of the world, and it's not the beginning of a utopia either. But what we look forward to is the coming of the kingdom, and the kingdom's not going to fit into our political mindset, which we've talked yeah. about at at length. And what we should be concerned about when we're talking about being concerned about the coming of the kingdom is ultimately Jesus's return, but also what we're doing now, and what we're doing in our in our personal lives. And on our lives as the church, because this really should be the this is this is where I want to get sort of mean and just say, I'm not sure the church is manifesting the kingdom so much as trying to get people saved and then set them as then you know if you want to get discipled or whatever that's cool. And it's partly because and maybe it's just because the situation in the United States has been so pleasant for the church. I don't know. This is getting off on another. Let, tangent, let, let me, I want to go on a, on a brief tangent that I, I, I think uh, might help encapsulate and wrap this up a little bit. I remember he, growing up hearing, you know, you know, stories about missionaries and, and such. And, and the, the mindset of, I, I, I think there was, there was a missionary that actually talked about how 
you know, the goal of their agency is to to bring back Jesus by getting the the gospel spread to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and well and in, well intentioned. It's something that that we should be doing. We we should be spreading the good news of Jesus. But the good news of Jesus is more than just you get to go to heaven when you die. When when we talk about bringing the kingdom, it's more than just getting people to pray a prayer. It's about meeting their needs, their medical needs, their their physical needs, their their you know food and water, shelter, all all those kinds of things. Helping to to right the wrongs of of the world is what it means to bring the king is, is to to manifest the kingdom, and so and, and to to bring Jesus back. And I'm I'm not going post-millennial here where I'm saying we we can do all this and then Jesus comes back and just sits on the throne that we set up for him. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying if we when like we we as as Christians as little Christ our hearts should be set on 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 living in the kingdom. We we should not feel at home anywhere but in the kingdom of God. And so wherever we go, we should be wanting to to help manifest where our home, manifest that kingdom. And so when when we so we our way of looking forward to the return of Christ is to help bring that about wherever we go, so that because that's where our home is, that's where our our true selves are, is in the kingdom of God, not not in any anywhere else or anything else. And so yeah, yeah, that's why we work work to bring the kingdom. It's not because we think that we have to do it in order for Jesus to come back, but we do it because that's where our true home is. That's where we ultimately belong. And so we want to manifest that wherever we go. Yeah. And it should be it should be exciting. Because we're involved in a great movement towards something great, right? I mean, you, you've been called. You've been called to to a purpose. You've been saved for the purpose of doing good works that God set in advance for you to do, right? This is the whole. This is the whole purpose. Like you're not in. You're not here without purpose. You're not here without some sort of goal. You have a goal, and and everything you do is 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 carrying on the work with Christ of transforming history. And revealing that Jesus is Lord, right? That's what apocalypse means, to reveal, to uncover that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be running around with big locusts stinging us or whatever. Uh, Who knows what all that's about? Well, I mean, G.K. Beale knows what all that's about. (laughs) Other commentators on Revelation. But the point is, the whole terror, the, the idea of identifying Christianity with a particular political party or whatever, this is all this is all troubling because it's it's a sign that we keep trying to make our homes in different places, but really our home should be in the kingdom. And, and that doesn't mean elsewhere. It doesn't mean up in the clouds. It means the kingdom. We should be the home of the kingdom. The church really should be manifesting it. Uh, and, and this is what we look forward to. And by the church, I mean us. Like, when I criticize the church, I'm criticizing me. Not because I'm the church, but I'm part of the church, <laughs> right? Um, I'm one of those unmentionables. So, uh, in, in the church body that Paul talks about, 
he said it, not me. Well, I did say it, but it, he said it first. Paul started it. I, I mean, I don't know if that, that says a bunch. I feel like this is more devotional than strictly philosophical. But next week, we'll be talking about the first advent. And it'll be the Wednesday right before Christmas, I believe. Mm-hmm. The last Wednesday before Christmas, it'll come out. Provided I can get everything out. But until then, I'm Travis. I'm Joel. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.